Welcome, Harvest Bible Fellowship. Pastor Ken is not here this morning, recovering from surgery. And I know, I don't, I don't think I'm wrong for speaking for him in this behalf. I know he wishes to be here with you. Um, I know his love for you is immense. And uh, so I, I, I know that uh, he just, he says every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday to him. That's, that's awesome. So um, I'm thankful that uh, he allowed me to fill in on his behalf. Now, we're doing communion today. Every first Sunday of the month, we do communion. Does everybody have a cup and a wafer? Anybody not have one? Okay, so we're going to get you some. Keep your hands up so we know. Reason being is because I'm going to tie this message into communion. I hope that you really sense that as we go along. Go ahead and keep your hand up. Anybody, well, I was going to say, we also, if anybody's gluten-free, we also have a gluten-free wafer. All right. Looks like we're good. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are who you are. Lord, there is none like you in all the world. Lord, you alone, just like the song says, you alone we put our hope and our faith and our trust in. Lord, you are worthy of our praise because you alone bore our sins on the cross. You alone conquered death on the cross. You alone created us. You created the moon, the stars, the heavens. Everything that we can visibly see, everything that we don't see, was created by only You. And we thank You for Your great love this day, Lord. Father, we we pray for Pastor Ken for a quick and speedy recovery. Um, We pray, Lord, for this nation, for individual people in this congregation. To the lost, Lord, we pray for them, Lord, that they would receive you, that they would know you intimately. Lord, that they would find truth amongst a confusing world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you all to turn to Isaiah chapter 42, please. Isaiah chapter 42. We're primarily going to be in a couple books. I'm going to reference some scriptures, and I will, let, I will let you know if I need you to turn there. But a lot of my references, you can just, uh, Matt will put up on the screen for you to follow along. We begin today in Isaiah as a reminder of what the nation of Israel was about to go through. In, previous, in a couple chapters before, um, Isaiah had told King Hezekiah, he, he said, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which you shall beget, 
shall they take away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So this was about to take place with the nation of Israel. And God was going to provide hope that what would seem like a very hopeless situation, the spiritual condition of Israel was not unlike our own. Their actions, their idolatry, their hopelessness because of their sin brought them into captivity. But God was going to use it. God was going to use it for His glory because of His great love. And I want to share with you the heart of God today. I want to show you here in Scripture how loving God is even amidst what appears like judgment. And just like our nation, we need an awakening. There needs to be clarity in all this confusion. Remember, God says, I am not the author of confusion. I need to separate for you the truth from the lies, from this, the heavenly kingdom, from this earthly kingdom. I need to show you the difference. You know, it's funny that when we try to live life apart from Jesus Christ, that the unregenerate condition never gets any better. Notice from the beginning. As soon as sin came in, it gradually got worse. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. But the deception is, is that, well, I can do it. I can work it out. I can, I can become righteous and I can justify myself by my works and my actions. And you see, Israel at this time, they, they believed in God. They, got, they called God their God but yet they entertained other things in their life. And those things were going to bring them into bondage. And what happens a lot of times is, is this, is you could be in bondage for so long that you don't realize you're in bondage anymore. And then just as Jesus told Nicodemus, He says, if I tell you of earthly things and you believe them not, how are you going to understand heavenly things? And they were in such bondage spiritually that God says, I'm going to have to bring you in physical bondage to make you awakened to your condition. But not only that, but to be awakened to my great love and my great grace that I have for you. And you know, the, the same thing that happens to a nation can happen to a person. Isaiah 42. And God says, Behold my servant. If you're going to behold something, not the idols, behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And we remember to fulfill the Scripture. In, the Holy, in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, it says, The Holy Ghost descended in the bodily shape like a dove upon Him, Jesus. 
And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Behold my servant. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And we remember in Matthew chapter 12, uh, 15, after he had uh, healed the withered hand of a person, the Pharisees, of course, were, were there. And they plotted to destroy him after that. But when Jesus knew it, it said he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet this very, these very verses. And it says in verse 3, A bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. See, here's the truth of it. See, we live in a very religious world. It might not seem religious, but it's very religious. And there's a big disparity between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And and it's interesting that if you don't follow the world's system, their religion, they'll leave you off to the curb. They'll cancel you. But God says, I'm different than all these gods that you've entertained in your life while declaring that I'm your God. You see, these, the thought is here, this bruised reed, they're not really good for anything. They're one amongst thousands surrounding a marsh, stagnant water. Seemingly good for nothing. And while your enemy might lift you up in pride and entice you with dainty goods and, and lift you up and make you feel successful and make you feel proud, and then the minute you fail, he kicks you off to the curb and he can care less about you. And the, the, the thought here is, is what God is saying is, is a bruised reed shall he not break. Unusable, bruised reed. God says, I'm not going to break you. I'm going to turn, I'm going to make something out of you. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment and truth. The, the, the idea here is the flax was used to make linen, right? It's what they used to make candle wicks. And, and what happens is, is, see, flax doesn't just ignite on fire. It smolders. And it needs some help. And, it, and God was showing that the spiritual condition of Israel was that of, see, their love, was, their love for God was dying. It, it, it was about to go out. A lot like maybe the churches today. And, and it takes someone to trim that wick and to blow a little bit of air, some life, into that spark to keep it going. And he's saying, my servant, he's going to ignite your heart. 
He's going to ignite your life. He's not done with you. Although it might seem like all hope is lost. And he's going to bring forth judgment. But his judgment is going to come in a way for the believer that's different from the world. But he has to show a difference. It says in verse 4, well, I have to say this. I, I told my wife earlier that he had put these some things on my heart all week, but I wasn't quite wasn't quite uh, convinced that this is what he wanted me to say. But it keeps coming up over and over. And that is kids. That these kids that are growing up in this generation and they're seeing a world that in its own right is very religious, but is dead. And, and they're coming into the world from being left from their forefathers and their sins of their fathers. And truth over time, especially in our country, just like it was happening in Israel then, is it's getting mixed with lies. And confusion is coming in. And these kids are on my heart that they're coming into this world like, what's going on? What's going on? I mean, I I had to fill out forms the other day for... Uh, my shoulder for going through rehab and I had to fill out these forms and it said sex at birth excuse me sex at birth the same as I am now I'm a male in case you haven't figured that out and I was thinking what and here we're, we as parents have left behind are leaving behind a world that's sacrificing truth. And they're confused. And they don't know what to believe. And because we're not, maybe, maybe us, and we're calling ourselves believers, maybe we as parents were professing to be uh, Christians and professing to love God, and yet that message isn't being conveyed to the children in the life of the parents. Because although we're going to church and we're professing love for Jesus, you see, we're entertaining idols in our life and they're, they're making us blind and they're captivating our imaginations and they're putting little images, ungodly images in our minds and in our hearts. And all of a sudden, we start to hope in these things that can't possibly... They, they never breathed life into us in the beginning and will not be able to save us when we die. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to bring truth and judgment. And it says in verse 4 of Isaiah 42, He shall not fair, fair, uh, fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. See, he's not going to fail. Where man fails, I mean, you might think that they don't fail. I mean, they've got all the advertisements on the TV, right? Of the next new thing. Or the next, um, the next uh, prescription that's going to solve this problem. But keep in mind that all these things are going to lead to symptoms that may cause that. And it's like, and that's hope. That's hope. No. And, and what, what's going on with the nation of Israel is this, this 
consistent state that happened. It didn't just happen like that. It happened over time to get them to the point where they were at. But God says, you know what? Even the, the state that you're in right now, there's hope. And God says, you know what? I'm going to put, I'm going to put flesh to my words. I love my people so much. Behold my servant. He is going to come. And he is going to come in the flesh. And he's going to, he's going to experience things like you all experience. Whether it's your own doing or not. Like in the case of Job. I mean, how many people in um, Israel were brought into captivity that we're true worshipers of the Lord. I mean, we've got Daniel. We've got his Meshach, Shadrach, and They were all brought in to captivity of Babylon for the national sins of Israel. So they were experiencing the captivity along with those that were idolaters and were entertaining the worship of false gods. But Jesus will not fail. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 through 7, says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. See, we serve a holy and righteous God and a a true Savior that when the world would turn its back on you. God says, I turned my back to the smiters. But I'm coming for you. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, in verse 12, He said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And I said before that Jesus is coming to judge. And in verse 15, uh, Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. And then they said unto Him, Who is your Father? Jesus answered, You know, you don't, neither know me nor my Father. And if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. Skip down to verse 26. He says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. And then said Jesus to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. And I do always those things that please Him. 
You see, we don't always do the things that please God. And in our attempt to try to make our situations better or more right, we think that we can just become religious and we can just erase the wrong that we've done. And then we become in captivity and in bondage to self-righteousness, which is a prison in itself. But you see, Jesus came down and, and, and He put on flesh. He allowed himself to be in a body like you and me and to be crucified for our sins, which that's the only way. We know this. But you see, he's right there in front of them and they couldn't see. We're not going to please him. It's interesting that this world tries to, well, see, we're, we're evolving. We're, we're coming up with new and, new and improvements and, 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 you know, we have to lay our patent on it. We put our patent on this and our patent on that so we can pat ourselves on the back that we're the ones that came up with this. But we're all using God's stuff that He created and then we're laying credit for it. Isn't that what we can do even as Christians sometimes? We can look at our brothers and sisters in the Lord and wonder, what are you doing for the Lord? Well, I'm doing this. You think God's pleased with your work? I know that God is pleased with Jesus. And anything that we can do, being led by the Spirit of God for the glory of Jesus, God will be much pleased with if it gives Jesus the glory. Isaiah 42.5 Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, He that gives breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. See, it's God that gives breath. It was God that breathed life into Adam's nostrils. Religious people have physical breath, but they do not have spiritual breath. They're not filled with the Spirit of God. And see, they're, they're without life, just like those reeds along the marshes. Just like the flax that is running out of spark. And God says, I want to give, I want to put oil in your lamps. I want you to burn with desire for righteousness. Jesus told them in Matthew, He said, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And Jesus said, I will fill you. I will fill you. Even when you think that you're empty, if you come to Me and allow Me to just blow My Spirit, My breath, on any, if there's any spark left in you, I can, I can keep the fire burning. But you, see, you can't do it. You can't create your own oil. Thus saith the Lord God, he says in verse 6, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and I will hold thine hand, I will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison. In John chapter 9, verse 39 through 41, he says, For judgment I am come into this world, that which 
that they would see not might see and that they would see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. See, prison's a funny thing. I mean, I've never been in a physical prison. I've never experienced that. But I've experienced prisons, other prisons. Sin prisons. Prisons you might not think of. Self-righteous prisons. Carnality prisons. And it's funny how he starts off, he says, to, to, to give sight to the blind and um, to bring out prisoners from the prison. It's the very things that get us into prison sometimes. Right? Our eyes. And there's a lot of us that might be in a prison today. And they, they, they might be coming in here to church. And they, they might be lifting their hands and praising during the worship songs. But little do they know, or little does anybody else know, that they're in bondage to something in their life right now. And they're blind to it. I can imagine who someone who's been in prison so long gets so used to being in that condition. Where the world almost turns upside down. They don't even realize that they're there. It, don't, it becomes a part of life. They, they remember that they were entrapped and they, they wanted deliverance, but then they kept going back and going backwards to it. And then they got further away and further away and... And before they knew it, they were trapped in it and they gave up hope. That, that spark had gone out. And, and they found themselves locked in a prison. And before long, they just said, well, I, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to change. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to think these things. I'm always going to resort to this for hope. To where it just becomes normal. And this is where the nation of Israel was. This is where America is right now. We have normalized relationships apart from God to the point that it's just, this is life. This is what we do. And think about these children being born into this generation. Well, what do we have to do? Well, you have to grow up and you have to go to school and you have to get a degree and you have to do this and you have to do that to be recognized by who? Oh yeah, the world system and the king of this world. The prince of this world. Oh, he's promised life? No. It's a lie. It's a facade. And Jesus said, I've come to bring you out of this prison. I'm not going to leave you there. The world might kick you off to the curb, but I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you in this condition. I cannot. So I'm, so I'm going to make things start to get really real for you to waken you out of this slumber that you're in. In Isaiah 42a, continuing, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. You know, we, 
there's very few people. I mean, there might be people that worship idols today in the physical sense. They've got their little, you know, they've got their trophies and all those things. But I think the deeper issue is, is the idolatry, these images that we create in our minds of, of expectations and, and things that we put all our time and effort into. And we begin to worship false gods in the throne of our heart that takes place over the one that deserves to sit on the throne of our hearts. And that's Jesus Christ. See, there's a truth and there's a lie. We know that Jesus gives life. God gives life. Satan, on the other hand, he is a murderer and a thief from the beginning. And he will use any tactic to steal from you, to rob from you, to destroy you, to kill you. And don't be amazed when you see the kingdom of this world, this earthly kingdom, adopt uh, policies and religious practices that do the very same thing, that take away life, that rob you of truth, that do not fill you with life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6-11, through 11, it says, Jesus, about who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that servant in Isaiah, he became flesh. He wasn't going to leave them there in that condition. And He's not going to leave you there in that condition. But you can refuse. And He is coming. And He will judge unrighteousness. But He wants, but He came the first time to take our unrighteousness upon Himself. That's how loving and gracious He is. He has every, uh, He has every ability to judge us for all of our sin. And He would be righteous and, and, Having us pay that penalty. Because he, he hasn't sinned. He hasn't done anything wrong. We're the ones that have sinned against Him. But He's so gracious and so loving that He doesn't want to leave us where we are. Unlike the counterfeit, the false prophet, the beast, in Revelation chapter 13, 11-15, it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Looks, looks to be like a lamb. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell thereon to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven out of the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of that beast should be killed. Just like I said. So don't be surprised when you start seeing things change to the point on this earthly plane 
that is going to do that. See, Satan wants you to buy into the world. He wants you to buy into the, this kingdom. And, but it's going to rob you. There's going to be a price to, to pay. And Jesus is trying to keep us from that. He says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, in verse 9. And new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you them. See, I've warned you over and over and over. And I've told you things in the, in the front side to prepare because when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And you want me to be that way, God says. You want, we, shouldn't we want to be a man of our word or a woman of our word? But we don't want God to be a, a, a man of His word. We want to keep pushing the envelope and, and crossing the line and keep testing His grace. But he says, I'm telling you in advance because I love you. I love you, but this is going to happen. And it says, Sing unto the Lord a new song, and His praise from the end of the earth, you that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare His praises in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yes, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have long time holding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up the herbs. And I will make the rivers islands and will dry up the pools. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. And I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back that shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images, that say to the molten images, you are our gods. And he says, hear ye deaf, and look ye blind that you may see. Who is blind? But my servant. Or deaf is my messenger that I sent. Who is blind is he that is perfect. And blind is the Lord's servant. Seeing many things but you observe not, opening the ears, but he heareth not. Aren't you glad when, aren't you glad the Lord looks at us who are saved through the lens of his blood? That he no longer sees your sin? And I don't know about you, but have you ever said something in, in animosity towards someone? Even a loved one, you were upset by something and you said something and it came out of your mouth and you were like, oh, oh, I wish I could have that back. I've done that with my own wife. And she looks down and doesn't say a word. Oh. Do you realize that in John chapter 8, 3 verse 11, Remember when they had, the Pharisees had taken the adulterous woman and they threw her down at, at, their, at his feet, seeing what he would do? And accusing of caught in the very act. This person was caught in the very act. Interestingly enough, that woman really represented the nation of Israel. 
It represents We've all played the adulteress. We've all worshipped other gods. And here, they had the audacity to throw this woman down in front of him to make a spectacle out of her to try to, to, try to prove if Jesus was the Messiah or not based on his reaction. And here's what Jesus did. It says in verse 6, This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. That's, That's grace. A lot of people have different ideas about what he wrote and all that. But it says that he heard them not, as if they, as if they never even said it. You know, I'm going to look, pa- I'm, I'm going to look past this. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, "He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her." You see, and we can be very, we could be up on our high horse as Christians, even with our own brothers and sisters, or we could look at the unsaved world and point the finger and say, "Can you believe that?" Can you believe that he was doing that? Or he's thinking this? Oh my, and he calls himself a Christian. And we could be just like these Pharisees. And maybe it's the same voice that that you're hearing today into your ears that says, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Cast, go ahead, stone him. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the stone. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the Lord, uh, the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes. Maybe that's you today. They are hidden prison houses. They are all for a prey and none delivers for a spoil and none says restore. Imagine having a heart like that. Imagine having a heart like Jesus, that when we see somebody entrenched in sin without even a godly thought or swearing up a storm, that our first thought wouldn't be, look at that person, he's got a filthy mouth. Imagine if our heart was to go to that person in a heart of restoration and share with them Jesus Christ. And that though you're angry and you're swearing because you're angry and you're, you're not saved yet and all those other things, do you realize that God could give you a peace that passes all understanding that can take away that anger? That can get to the root, the heart of the matter? See, God put on flesh. It's not just about speaking words or throwing stones or declaring our own righteousness and justifying ourselves in the sight of men. It says in verse 24, who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers. Who allowed this to happen? See, you're you're in captivity spiritually and you're blind to your your spiritual condition, but now I'm handing you over to captivity and now he's asking the rhetorical question, who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? 
For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law. Therefore he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it hath set him on fire round about, yet he knew it not. And it burned him, yet he laid it not to heart. Please, God, wake us up. Turn to, turn to Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33. Starting at verse 19. So, keep your, keep your hands on Isaiah 43 there, though, too. Um, Elihu is having a conversation with Job. We all know that Job was in his condition, not because he had sinned, not because he was turning his back on God. He was in a different type of situation that God was going to manifest himself in this situation. And though Job's friends brought accusations against him, Elihu, out of all of them, probably gave the best counsel. Or tried to at least open Job's eyes to try to not justify himself in the sight of God. A lot of you know the story. But in verse 19 it says, He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that, in his, so that his life abhors bread and his soul dainty meat. The flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draws near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. You know who that ransom is, right? It's Jesus. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. Wow. This is all the way back in the Old Testament. We need Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. We need to be born again. And remember how I referred to you in the beginning that burden. We talked about a burden today before in our study and having a heart about children. Remember when the disciples in Matthew uh, and, and people around Jesus were saying, who's going to be the greatest in, in the kingdom of heaven? And he says, go get the children. Bring a child. And Jesus said, he told him, he's like, well, you know, you have to become a child if you're going to even enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let alone be great. I'm, drawing, I'm going back to this point to demonstrate something. It, when he sit him in the midst, he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this child, 
the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little, little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. What are we doing with our children? What are we doing with our children? Are we, are we showing them Jesus Christ? Are we, or are we effectively by our actions bringing them into captivity and allowing them to reap all the consequences that God lined out even for his nation, Israel? What kind of paths are we setting up for them? And it's interesting. Remember, God doesn't, you know, have you ever heard the saying, well, I don't tell people to do something that I myself wouldn't do. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself, he put on flesh, and he became a child. He says, unless you become as a child, you need to be born again. How many people? I see a lot of older people in this congregation this morning. Y'all didn't start out that way. Many of you, many of you have forgotten what it's like to be a child. Many of you have forgotten the innocency of, of how a child acts and thinks. And remember, Paul told us, you know, that we should. In malice, be, in, in understanding, we should be men. But in malice, we should be like a child. Have that kind of heart. And Jesus became a child. He humbled himself in the form of a babe. To grow up, to experience temptation, to go through the hardships that we face. He fulfilled these prophecies in himself. He turned his back to the smiters. He had his beard plucked out of his face. Which are the physical uh, signs of of sin. Our sin. Because sin brings forth death. And an excruciating one at that. Out of his great love, he came to do that for you. Do you know that you're precious to him? Why, why, why would Jesus do such a thing? Because you're so righteous that you deserve it? Or because you're helpless? And you know and you realize that you're in bondage to things and you, you need deliverance. And he loves you that much that he, he will be that deliverance. And he, wants to, and he wants to free you. He wants to open your eyes. He wants to give you a new heart. It's only then when you can become his people. It's when he's given you a new heart and you're born again and he's put his spirit within you. I'll try to end up here in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. He says, Verse 
in verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for your life. Fear not, I am with thee. I will bring your seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, It is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and I have saved. I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am He, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, it's personal. He's your Savior. He's your Redeemer. God is personal. For your sake I have sent to Babylon. For your Wait, you sent me into captivity for my sake? And have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and path in the mighty waters, which brings forth the chariot horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Remember you not the former things? Neither consider the things of old? Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, all the unclean birds. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, I give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. It's interesting that back in Job, you don't have to turn there, but back in Job 34.26, he says, He striketh them as wicked men in the open sight of others. That was way before Israel even became a nation. And it says, Because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways, so that they, the cause, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come unto him, and he hears the cry of the afflicted. When he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can behold him? Whether it be done against a nation or against a man only. You see, what happens to a nation happens to a man. Captivity can happen both ways. But we have hope in Jesus Christ. And we'll end with this. 
Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through 15, another prophecy of Jesus. It says, Behold, again, behold, look at my servant. He shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them they shall see and that which they had not heard they shall consider. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, I thought to myself, and I told Heart Cry this when I was preaching over there, that he became sin for us. In every way. He, he experienced suffering. He experienced pain. He shed his blood, which is, the Bible says that life is in the blood. He gave his life for all of us. And I thought to myself, well, where, where, where did he become blind for us? And, and in doing, and in preparing this, I, I began to see something that not only is he was on the cross, and by the time he had got there, he was a mess. And I don't know if you've ever seen an MMA fight or a boxing match, but you know, it doesn't take much to get a, a shot above the eyebrow to, to cut the eye open and for blood to start streaming in to your eyes to where in a boxing match, if it gets too bad, the opponent can't defend himself anymore. And the ref has to step in and say, he can't defend himself anymore, fight's over. He can't see. If he can't see, he can't defend himself. But I, I just have this picture that with the crown of thorns, placed on his head, his beating, he was struck in the face, his, his beard plucked out of his cheek. That there he stood, hung on a cross, loving people that were spitting on him, that were cursing him. And I could imagine that he couldn't see very clearly in his flesh because of the blood streaming down in his eyes. But I, when, I, when, I, when I had that image in my mind, I was like, oh my goodness. Because of what he did, he sees us through the lens of his shed blood. God sees us through that lens. And he doesn't see you as a filthy, rotten sinner. And he doesn't see you from the old man anymore. He sees you through his shed blood and through his life. Only a God like that is worthy of our praise. Amen?